I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna walk you up, walk up. I'm gonna do some foley sound work. I don't know if you can hear that in the mic. That's footsteps, footsteps. Walking up to Counselor Davis. Are we recording? Is this? Yeah, being I'm, recorded? I'm recording. This is okay. this is happening. I've started this oh, differently. Hello, I'm shaking Elder it up. Jackson. How are you? I haven't oh, seen you for a while. Hi, Counselor Davis. Yeah, it's 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 good to see you. Welcome welcome back to the ward. I know with the high council and everything, you're off visiting other wards, but uh, Bishop wants to see you in his office for just for a PPI. Oh, okay, sure, no sure. problem. Sacrament yeah. meetings in about fifteen minutes. We have time. Okay, yeah. I'll head over there. Perfect. Let's uh, walk, 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 walk. You've got a real squeaky door there, Bishop. Welcome to the house of the Lord today. <laughs> Is that what you call your office? Yes. Okay. That's... Welcome to my office, Counselor Davis. Why don't you have a seat? Thank you, Bishop. I'll come in for sure. I'll sit down in front of you in this awkwardly placed room where I can't be um, sat between you and the door. What? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna just stick around here too, just to take notes too, and maybe maybe ask some VPI questions too. Is also, that... there's no window on the door for obvious reasons. Uh, do you have the Do you have the sound muffler on in the hallway on as well, so nobody can hear? I've turned our... the fan on. Yes, the fan. <laughs> the fan is on. Yes. So, uh, hi, Counselor Davis. We're we've been looking at your tithing records, and we've noticed that you haven't been paying tithing, and we're getting very concerned <laughs> about why not. Could you please maybe explain yourself? Okay, I um, I can't live the lie anymore. I need to I need to tell you the unraveling that has happened in my life uh, the last couple of years and this uh, crisis that I've kind of come up against. Um, can I, can I do that with you? Is there some, some, as, uh, as long as here? we follow the perfect and prescribed pattern? I don't know what that means. Uh, it, nor just, does anyone else. Nor. <laughs> <laughs> tell, us, tell us your story. Start us off. Tell Where, us your story. For sure, Where, for sure. How did you get here? So a uh, little bit of a timeline. So my wife and I were married 2010 um, I was kind of on a short track to be like Bishop and stuff. I was kind of a, a golden boy. I was in a, a bishopric at the young age of uh, 28, um, you know, very busy with my professional uh, designation and had a young daughter and all that jazz and was called into the bishopric and had a great bishop and, and whatnot. And so that was 2012. And then uh, we ended up moving out of the, out of the ward. And then in 2014, um, while still holding a, a pretty heavy calling in our new ward, um, one day in the fall of 2014, my wife came to me and she said, Mark, um, I don't believe it. Uh, counselor Davis, I don't believe anymore. And I said, what do you mean? She's like, I don't, I don't believe anything about the church anymore. And I, it, you know, blindsided me. And I remember specifically uh, calling my best friend who was uh, a member of the church as well. And I just bawled to him on the phone and he didn't quite understand what was going on. And I basically was able to get out that my wife no longer believed she had lost her faith. So that was 2014. And from then on, like my life has, has been, has been drastically different because there was this constant feeling of, 
of of worry, of upset, confusion, and all that. I remember going back up to my wife. I'm like, we're going to pray until we can't pray any longer, and we're going to figure this out. And I remember just like praying so earnestly with her, and and you know, I think she uh, appreciated the sincerity, but she knew that she was done regardless. The thing that kind of pushed her over the edge was uh, a year of polygamy, the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm like, okay, well, I got to understand what you've been listening to, you know, what are these things that have really pushed you over the edge? So I started listening to it and I started listening to it, uh, while I drove to work, which was really bad because trying to focus, you know, after having your faith really, I guess, tried for, you know, 30 minutes while you drive to work and then try to focus for, you know, eight hours while you're at work was, proved to be a really difficult model. And during one day I met with my coworker and I just broke down and just like, and he, he knew I was Mormon and, and whatnot. And, and I tried to explain the situation, but like, how do you really explain the situation to someone that doesn't know that you've been entrenched in this like belief structure that's, you know, taking every part of your life over and your wife that you've been married to, on the premise that you would be Mormon forever has decided to leave. Anyways, I broke down crying to him and he said something interesting to me. He said, he said, you are in the same position that I was about six years ago, but in relation to the Catholic church. And I thought, no, 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 you don't understand. Like my church is the true church. Your church is the great and abominable church. Mine is the true one. You don't know how I feel. And looking at that, like now I'm like, man, I was kind of a prick. I didn't say that to him, but I, I I thought, you know, no, no, Glenn, his name's Glenn. I'm like, Glenn, you don't understand. This is, this is a little bit different, but it was actually quite, quite similar. So, so heading into 2015, we wanted to buy a house and I was like hell bent on getting back into the ward that we had left because the Bishop there was very, very knowledgeable, was very authentic. Wasn't, you know, he didn't righteous or lead a rule unrighteously. And he was, you know, extremely well-read, probably one of the smartest men I know still to this day. And I thought, if we get back in his ward, he'll be our bishop and I'll convince my wife that the church is true. Like that was seriously like my mind, my, my thought pattern that if we got back in that ward, we would be saved. And so we were able to get back in that ward. And I thought this is, you know, the Lord's hand is getting us back in this ward. Everything's going to be all right. But it just kind of continued to unravel because you know, the one thing that really was hard to swallow was that my wife is probably one of the most genuine people you'll ever meet. Um, she is so kind, so sincere. And and I really had to, instead of just like kind of um, disregarding her thoughts entirely, thinking that she was crazy, you know, led away by Satan, I really stopped and thought, you know, this this woman who is so close to God, who is so concerned with the individual, with loving people, she's decided that this isn't true. Like there's a little bit of weight there that I have to consider. I can't just, you know, I had other friends that had left the church. I knew of people that had left the church and I just kind of wiped, like chalked it up to them not having a strong enough testimony or not being good enough people. But here's my wife, who's like an amazing person who's like, no, no, this isn't for me. This is not how God would do things. 
So I've said a lot. Uh, do we need to do an interlude here for a second? No, anything? I, well, I like, I'm just happy to let you talk your fill. I didn't want to interrupt, but I've got a couple of questions. Like, so you said you were blindsided. Like, was there, when you look back, was there anything that was like a writing on the wall for your, your wife? Were there any kind of like comments under her breath about certain things or show, starting to show a disinterest? Like, was there kind of a building or was it just 100% out of nowhere? So leading up to that discovery at the end of 2014, she had had, she had uh, created a surprise birthday party for me and invited a bunch of people. And she had a bunch of friends there and they were talking about ordain women. Right. And, you know, I, I, I wasn't completely against it. Like I understood what they wanted but I didn't really understand it too much. And I like thought it was okay that she would talk to her friends about ordained women and, um, and whatnot. And I guess, you know, she didn't want the priesthood, but she wanted more equality, more equity in the church. She wanted, you know, women to participate in the decision-making process. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, there wasn't like, she had questions about the temple and like, I was so, um, like pig headed. She would ask these like difficult questions about like legitimate questions about the temple. She said like, so, so like Satan in the plan was destined to fall. Cause that needed to happen to make sure that there was, you know, the evil mm-hmm. contrast against the good. She's like, so there was a predestination for him to fall. I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You don't understand. And like, I would get like really hostile towards her sincere questions because she didn't understand. And she, you know, she now shares with me like the deep trauma that she felt after going through the temple. Mm-hmm. And, but I was never like, I just kind of chalked it up to, oh, she doesn't understand. I would get mad at her if she didn't read her scriptures like every day. And, you know, but she was like doing really, like she's a, super wholesome person doing good work, loving people, you know, just, yeah, just like the greatest person, except she wasn't reading her scriptures and I would just like lose my shit. Um, it was, yeah, it was, it was an interesting time for her and I. This so, was, so this is, you're saying like you'd get mad at her not reading your scriptures after she told you she's done with the church or was that just kind of like an ongoing thing in your marriage? So before she told me she wasn't, right. uh, leaving the church. So from like, yeah, like 2010 to 2014, uh, I was like at the beginning of our marriage, I was a little more strict, but then I'm like, this isn't, you know, this, this is not healthy for our relationship. Yeah. So I continued to be like the example and like study and pray and all that stuff. Were, um, were you always pretty kind of pious like that? Like, these are the rules I'll follow these like growing up too. Uh, no, no, it didn't happen until after I came home off my mission. Like I really, I figured out that I could be a really good Mormon and it made me popular. And I really kind of gravitated towards that. Like I was, I was the man at church, you know, I had all the amazing callings. Like I, yeah, like I was, I was just the man. I wasn't the most attractive. I wasn't the most athletic. I wasn't the smartest, but I was the best fucking Mormon there was. <laughs> and, and I really, and I really identified with that. And so, you know, I've heard Bishop uh, speak about that a lot in terms of like getting all kind of like really grabbing onto it and really like kind of getting wound up by it. And I don't know if I, my experience was as 
as um, anxiety inducing, but I really, yeah, I felt, I felt like I had out of body experiences sometimes when I like sinned just a little bit, like I was like, Oh my gosh, like God is kicking me in the butt and I need to get back on the path. So I really, yeah, I really gravitated towards that, like pious, pious, I should say, uh, Mormon, uh, post-mission and then heading into, into marriage and stuff. Hmm. So, yeah, so 2015, we moved back into the ward, um, but things are still just unraveling. And then the nonsensical policy about gay couples that aren't allowed to have their kids baptized came out. I remember sitting in a work meeting with, you know, the other managers and, and the boss, and I get this text, and my wife is just like, you know, cry face, cry face, cry face, just like she's like, I am unconsolable. I can't get past this policy it's just so atrocious. And right there in that meeting, I'm like, Hey, Danny, who was my boss at the time. I'm like, my wife needs me. I got to go. And he's like, cool. And that's just the relationship that I had with the boss at the time. And so I went, went home and basically sat with her on the couch, just crying for like hours while we have two little girls playing in the living room, just like, not sure why mom is just, you know, unconsolable. And so the one thing that I really wanted to share today um, was that I was reading on the Exmo uh, subreddit about how a guy had basically become an alcoholic because he was trying to figure out how to leave the church or navigate that faith crisis. And he never had a drink before, but he just became an alcoholic in a five month period because he just didn't know how to deal with leaving the church and all the baggage and trauma that comes with it. And so it made me recollect a little bit about my experience. So we moved into this new place back in the ward and I buried myself in renovating the basement. We put in a basement uh, suite and it took like 11 months. And I just like was busy beyond belief. I had a full-time job, like a full-time renovation, heavy, heavy calling at church, you know, two little girls. Like just life was so busy and I couldn't, and I didn't want to stop and breathe and try to digest leaving the church. It was my alcohol. It was me like just trying to like get it out of my mind. And, you know, was it, was it financially prudent to renovate the basement in retrospect? No, because fast forward two years, we sold that house after putting about $70,000 in the basement. We sold that house for the exact same price that we bought it just because where we live, you know, where we lived in Calgary, very, um, influenced by oil and, oil and gas and just the ups and downs of, of the commodity pricing. So we're still financially feeling that, that therapy that I was um, going through um, like today, like five years later, we're still dealing with, well, I guess four years later, still dealing with that debt because I didn't want to um, embrace or talk about my wife leaving the church and then my feelings that supported her and my slowly like leaving the church. And I would hold on to things like my patriarchal blessing and experiences that I had. And I'm like, no, this is true. And I had many conversations with my wife where she's, she's like, so where do you stand on these, on this issue? I'm like, I don't know, but I, I know that I believe and I know that it's true. And that's what I'm working with right now. Hmm. And, and so um, I, but I was, I was, so, so Bishop, you bring up tithing. So um, 
I remember I was talking to my other bishop um, about tithing. And I said, hey, bishop, you know, you know, my wife is not interested in the church. She still comes. She does it for her appearances, but she does not want to pay tithing anymore. And so I'm going to pay 50% of the tithing, even though I make all the income, we do share the income. It's our income. So I'm only going to pay 50% of tithing based on my half of the income. And he was pretty cool with that. And, and I remember like talking to him about, you know, my wife's taking off her garments. And then I told my wife that later, she said, why are you talking to the Bishop about the underwear that I wear? I'm like, well, no, no, no. I'm still trying to like give him an idea of where, where you're at in believing. And obviously when you take off your garments, there's, there's a level of belief that you aren't at anymore. She's like, well, stop talking about my underwear. I'm like, okay, fair, fair point taken, point taken. Uh, but it's weird how we just kind of like talk about this stuff about, you know, these people that are quote unquote losing their faith or wanting to transgress um, as if they're just um, projects or just, you know, they're not, you know, at one point she wasn't my wife, but she was my, my purpose to, you know, to bring her back to the church, to make sure that our family had uh, a healthy family life that my daughters were raised in the church. And yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty traumatic. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I, I'm really sad about this. Um, the reason, the thing that makes me really sad is that we were, and we still are good friends, but at that point in time, through part of that timeline, we were working at the same company. We'd meet up for lunch or coffee or what hot chocolate, uh, but we'd meet up, we'd talk. I remember you listening to me talk about my frustrations with my job a lot. And I had no idea that you're going through this. And it, it, I'm just sad because it's like, like a faith crisis. It's this thing that people feel like they need to, I don't know, they can't share with anybody. And I'm just, I'm just I can't believe I was so clueless <laughs> to what was going on in your life. Um, and I just assumed and looked at you guys and thought you were like the super, uh, Mormon couple. And I, I don't know. I'm just, it makes me sad because I wasn't able to be a friend when you really needed a friend. I, I appreciate that. And, and, you know, even if like you were probably one of the closest guys that I was, you know, was to, um, at the time because of our working relationship and just, um, yeah, where we're at in life and, and whatnot. But I, I didn't share it with anybody. Like, it was like, almost like you couldn't talk about it with anybody. Cause I heard my sister talk about, you know, a girl that I went to seminary with, uh, about her leaving the church and her husband and my sister saying like, Laura doesn't know what she's doing. Like, there's, she's just so ignorant about the church. She obviously doesn't have any concept about the true teachings of the gospel. Meanwhile, me and me and my wife are like in the exact same situation, like on the verge of leave, leaving. And I'm like, yeah, Laura, she's stupid. Um, but like, that's like, you know, afterwards my dad would say, well, why didn't you talk to me earlier? I'm like, do you think you would have been like, like helpful and, like loving and non-judgmental if I had brought this to you earlier. Cause right now I'm not feeling a lot of love. Cause he was like super 
aggressive when I first told him that we were leaving the church. And I can only imagine, you know, what the conversations would have been like mm-hmm. um, had I tried to do it before. But now that I'm saying that, I remember I did talk to my brother once. He was helping me swap off the winter tires. Those of you that have winter tires, you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but he was helping me swap the winter tires on our car. And I kind of brought it up. I was like, hey, you know, this is what Jess is kind of thinking. You know, what are your thoughts? And I was still pretty committed to the church at the time. But he's like, no, that's nonsense. Like, there was no empathy. There was no attempt to, like, listen. Um, There was just kind of like, no, you know. And that's how we're, that's how we deal with this. We just are not empathetic. We don't listen. We just chalk it up to these pre uh, ascribed ideas that were either sinful, lazy, or just don't understand. And it's like, nah. So, um, Bishop, I appreciate your, your kind words, but there was probably no way that I'd share any of that with you. For sure. Oh, for sure. I just mean like, it's kind of the whole experience is just so messed up. Like, that's what I mean is it's like, it's this thing you feel like you have to keep secret because the way everybody else reacts. And I even think when you're talking about how like the people you did talk to reacted, I, I wonder who would I have been if you'd told me. And I mean, I think like I just, and I, I had and still have just a a high opinion of you and your, your wife that I think I would have just been in complete shock and just listened. Um, But at the same time, I probably would have tried to be on a high horse and, and tell you what, you know, the easy fix (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just bear your testimony or pray more or be more righteous or something. I don't know, but it, yeah. it's, it, it makes me sad because it's such an isolating experience and, and you feel like you can't talk to anybody about it. And so, because and, and it's hard to find an empathetic voice to talk to. And because of that, you just, you get more and more buried and feel more and more lonely. So it just makes me sad. I don't look at it with regret. I just makes me sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So in 2016, so, you know, my wife's kind of been mentally checked out for over a year now and I'm just like on the fringe, but still, still doing the motions, still paying tithing. Uh, the state president calls and says, Hey, I'd like to speak to you. I'm like, Ooh, okay. So he comes and meets with us in our house and extends me a calling to be um, ward clerk again. Hmm. And, and he's like, you know, the bishop would like you to be ward clerk. Is there anything that's preventing you from accepting this call? And at this point, you know, we hadn't been to the temple in a while, but I was still worthy of my temple recommend wearing garments, paying tithing, all that stuff. I said, well, no, but, and then I kind of just like shared with him our faith crisis. And he, I don't know if it was just due to the number of faith crises that he was dealing with from other people, but it just didn't seem like he gave a fuck at all. (laughs) He was just like, Oh, okay. Um, And we chatted for like another five, seven minutes, just like, well, you need to read and pray and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, do you still accept the calling? And I'm like, sure. (laughs) So I got the calling and then like went back to like meeting with the Bishop, Bishop Brick and like being in, like important meetings. And I was just like, not, not there at all. And um, there was a swap over in, in the bishops while I was there. It was actually from, from one brother to another brother. There was no nepotism there. Um, never is right. Never is. Never yeah. is the, yeah. the, uh, 
the Miller regime in the West stake. Anyways. um, uh, So when the new Bishop came in, I had, I told him where, Mm -hmm. where we're at. And so he really kind of approached things differently with me because he would ask questions from the other bishopric members and maybe the executive secretary. And then he would ask me about how I felt about certain things. And I always had this like contrarian opinion about stuff. I'm like, well, that could be perceived like this. Do you really want to do that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, he told me that he appreciated my, my different uh, perspective on things. And he was definitely more sensitive to me and my, my situation. But um, yeah, it was. Uh, and then, so uh, we, then we moved across the country and um, I was still wearing garments at the time. I remember when I drove the U-Haul truck out of Calgary, I actually stopped at the distribution center right before we left and bought like $150 worth of garments. I'm like, I was still committed at the time and then started attending the small branch here. And yeah, it was, it was easy to leave that branch. Let's just say that. Cause it was um, like nice people for sure, but like just n- not a lot of knowledge about church history or like mm. there was nobody in the ward that I felt like I could maybe um, uh, talk to about anything. So hmm. four months later, was pulled in to speak to the branch president. He offered, he, he gave me a calling. I turned him down and explained what was going on. And he said, okay, well, we'll let it simmer for a couple of months. And then I never went back. Uh, so it was nice. The transition definitely, I think we talked about this in a previous episode. So you definitely just need to move to, <laughs> to make the, the transition right out of the yeah, church. Yeah, definitely helps. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I would have left as early if we had stayed in in Calgary. Mm-hmm. So, what were like the the tripping points for you? Because so you've talked about um, your wife leaving and how that was hard, um, and you you talk about the fight to kind of convince her to stay in, and then it's the struggle to stay active when your house is kind of divided. But what were the? You mentioned the 2015 policy. Were there any other kind of things? You, you mentioned listening to the Your Polygamy podcast, but were there like, what were kind of the specific things where you were like, okay, I can't do this anymore for me? Um, I think it was, yeah, a lot of church history mm-hmm. just because, you know, Joseph. So when we moved here to Ontario, I had my, we went and hung out with some friends and the guys were outside by the fire and the women were inside chatting. It was my, my wife's good friends because she's from here. She has a nice established um, friend base base here. And so I was outside with like three drunk guys. I wasn't drinking and we were talking about stuff and they started asking about the church. And for the first time I did not defend church, church history. I just like, I was like, yeah, man, church history is screwed up. And there was one guy that knew a little bit about polygamy and Joseph Smith and stuff. And so he could ask some questions that kind of really opened me up, but for the first time. And so that was, you know, two or three months before we officially never went back to church, but he like really opened me up and I really just let it rip um, when it came to church history. Like it was just like embarrassing that I had believed something so obscure and like stupid and, you know, all on the premise that, 
know, God's ways are not our ways and that he'll, you know, bring about his work and his glory in really obscure, vile and disgusting ways, like and specifically polygamy and just mm-hmm. kind of the, you know, that maybe the treasure hunting and just like the quality of character of Joseph Smith, like, you know, the doctrine come and say that, you know, he, you know, apart from Jesus Christ, he's done more, you know, yeah. for the salvation of men. I'm just like, yeah. I, I don't, I don't want that. I don't want to be a part of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was embarrassed. You know, I was, I was an okay missionary when I was a, a TBM, but you know, afterwards I was like, you know, I, I was embarrassed about like fundamental things about the church polygamy and just like stupid stuff that there's no way that I could like get behind that and honestly say that this is what I believe. So it was just kind of like all these things are building in your brain and it's just finally somebody gives you the opportunity to hear yourself pretty much. Right. That's what it sounds like. So you've got, so like the critical issues for you were the, was church history. And specifically polygamy, like that was just the, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, absolutely. And then just like, you know, listening to my wife and just women in the church and just like, yeah, this weird dichotomy that we have in the church is just like, there's more women than men in the church and the women have no say Mm -hmm. whatsoever. Um, And obviously my experiences in the church haven't been as, as bad as some experiences that I've read, like mm-hmm. the subreddit, the Exmo subreddit is, man, there's so many stories in there that break my heart. And I, I was lucky enough not to have any of those. Um, maybe because I was kind of stupid and, and oblivious to kind of what was going around, uh, going on around me. But yeah, I, you know, I had pretty good experience. Um, and maybe that's why I was so kind of founded or, or, um, you know, so strongly footed in the, in the church, but um, yeah, my wife, just like her experience and just like hearing her speak and just like, this is wrong. And I'm like, yeah, you're totally right. You, you're so right. I remember there was a a strange, and I think I might've mentioned this, but I'll come back to it. There was a strange conversation. I remember us having on office messenger you were talking about ordained women and you were talking about some, like, um, I think there was, uh, you had friends or something like that, that were in a mixed orientation marriage. And we were having this conversation and it just kind of came out randomly. And it was just, it was really, it was just strange. Cause I think it was like, maybe you had something you really wanted to talk about, but couldn't. So you were like, <laughs> you're kind of circling around these issues. And I just remember, I'm like, why is Mark talking to me about ordained women? Oh, well, like whatever. Right. But yeah. Um, I, like I could see how it was kind of on the periphery of your, uh, no, I don't know periphery, but it was like, like it was something you wanted to get out, but just didn't know how, right. I don't know. Hmm. You know, I, I know I was somehow like trying to find an outlet. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I, re- I remember talking to a Bishop about, a few years ago, there was like a Swedish, um, Swedish rescue. No, uh, a Swedish, a, a general authority, emeritus general authority that had, you know, from Sweden that had left the church 
not left the church, but was questioning why doesn't the church release more information about about the history yeah. uh, of the church. And this bishop's response was, you know, uh, scholarship is interesting uh, because scholarship is just basically piecing together history based on diaries, you know, articles, um, you know, scholarship either for the church or against the church is just basically made up to a certain degree. So you can't, it's really hard for the church to come out and definitively say, this is the history of the church or this is what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is true to some extent, but bullshit in, in a lot of ways, because there is actually pretty good documentation about stuff. And, you know, well, and they still share the faith promoting stories that have even less evidence based on little diary entries and stuff like that. They, they share the stuff that works for them. Oh, absolutely. Like that movie, like 17 miracles or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was like, when I watched that, I'm like, this is garbage. This is absolute garbage. Like let's talk about, you know, anyways, never mind. Um, so, uh, so I remember bringing that up and that was about the same time. Cause I remember I was still working at the accounting firm and like doing a little bit of Google searching about that Meredith general authority. And so that could have been, and that was about the same time ordained woman was uh, ordained women was uh, kind of coming to the surface. So yeah, that, that was me trying to figure out how to talk about this stuff without talking about it. Yeah. And maybe, maybe testing the water. And that's, you know, and that breaks my heart because there's so many people that are in a similar boat and they are just either living in Utah or just their entire support structure is Mormon. And that that's what mine was, right? Mm-hmm. Like I didn't have a really close non-member friend that would listen to me and not pass too much judgment. All my friends were Mormons that were judgy, judgy. And like, I couldn't, I couldn't talk to anyone about, about this stuff. Um, and so that, like that really, like the Mormon subreddit, Reddit, Exmo subreddit is like, is fantastic because people can go there anonymously and just kind of like, okay, this is what's going on and get real support. Like, I don't know how real the support is with just a comment, but like knowing that there's other people that are going through the same, same crisis as you is, is really supportive. Like, I wish, I wish I had had that, like in this journey, I think we would have saved a ton of money, a lot of, like a lot of stress. I think I had a stomachache for about three years, right? From 2000, right. 2014 to 2017. Um, so did the D word ever cross your mind or how often did it cross your mind? Divorce? Uh, at the beginning, I was going to say Dick. Um, <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I was like, well, um, not sure well, what that bigger, has to do the with bigger D, The bigger D. The bigger D. The bigger D. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got, a, I got a pretty big, never mind. Um, divorce. <laughs> um, yeah, it came up for sure. Like all the scenarios kind of came through like divorce, uh, being that dad that, you know, was faithful, but had a, you know, an inactive wife, you know, taking my daughters to church. Like I was like hell bent on making sure the girls went to church mm-hmm. and Jessica was like, no. And now I'm so glad that they, we stopped going to church when we did just cause yeah. they were just, you know, our oldest daughter was just on the cusp of like piecing things together. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And I'm so glad that my wife had the foresight to, to push hard for those things. Uh, but divorce, we never talked about divorce, but it was definitely a, a thing in my mind that I was not, you know, pushing completely off the table. How about, how about you, Bishop? Did you, did the D ever come up? Uh, not. So when my wife told me that she was done with the church, 
she thought I was going to ask for a divorce on the spot. Like that was how that was honestly, that was how scared she was based on how committed I was. Um, yeah. She just thought, but she had to get it out and she was willing to take that chance to be honest with herself. Um, and so the first thing I thought was I can't, I'm, I'm, I would, what I thought to myself was, okay, let's say we do get divorced. Now I'm going to try and take my kids to a church where I tell them that family is the most important thing in the world, but I also divorce their mother because she doesn't believe the same things I do. And I was like, I can't. So logically that was how I thought of it was I was like, that doesn't make any sense to divorce her over this and then tell, and then try and raise my kids in it and tell them that family's important when I divorce their mother. Um, so, but emotionally it was like, it feels like a betrayal when your spouse tells you. Right. And so emotionally, yeah, I would walk around in a fog and I remember, and I think I've talked about this. I was biking and I could barely keep the pedals moving because I was so mentally distracted thinking about this and usually thinking about maybe I do need to get divorced. And, and that made me feel more uncomfortable because then I was like, well, how can the church that talks about family being the most important thing be driving a wedge between my family, that doesn't make any sense. So I must be misunderstanding what the church says. Really, I'm not misunderstanding anything, but I was like, I can't, I cannot get divorced over this. There's a bunch of things I could get divorced over. This can't be one of them. Hmm. Um, but I like, I, yeah, I had a battle. That was the mental battle I'd have with myself was kind of my brain logically understood what was right, but emotionally there's a lot of hurt feelings and and those two things are, are were fighting with each other in my brain. I never I never felt like that my wife had like turned her back on the church. Like I guess that was part of my downfall was that I really like I knew that she was sincere, that she didn't want to and she never like she was she was very sensitive to how I was feeling as well. So she was very um, careful around what she said in terms of like anything negative against the church. She never kind of put herself in a position where I could say like, Oh, you just don't understand. She's like, she would constantly say, this is how I feel. This is my experience. And you can't argue with that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she was really good at helping me understand her feeling and position, which was in, in part of why I was able to leave. Right. Um, and so you know, you listening to like, um, not being able to pedal on your bike. I remember I was walking down the street, listening to, uh, Bill real, uh, one of his podcasts and he was, uh, talking about, you know, he was a Bishop and when he lost his faith, it was quite traumatic. And I kind of identified with his experience. And there was one point where he, he talked about how, um, he didn't want anyone to like, share his unconversion story or whatever. Like it was his story to own. And, you know, he didn't leave because of sin or laziness or misunderstanding. Like he was super faithful. And I felt the same way. Like I didn't know anyone that was more faithful than me. And at one point I was so angry. I said, why do I deserve to lose my faith? You know, there are, you know, I don't know anyone that has done more home teaching, more service, more, you know, scripture study than me. And it was like, it was a pride thing to a certain degree. I was like, 
no one is as good as me. Why am I going through this? Mm-hmm. Why do I deserve this crisis when I have done everything right? And I didn't want anyone to like, you know, trivialize my story just by saying, oh, he just stopped reading the Book of Mormon and he lost his faith. Because it, it's not that easy. It was not that easy. And like, as soon as my wife told me she was out, I like doubled down on my prayers. I doubled down on my scripture study. I doubled down on fasting. Like it was like everything that I could do. I just like cranked it up. And, and still I just, you know, there's that slippery slope where you just kind of um, slowly just unravel the stories, you know, like your own mentality, your own perspective on things. And you just like unpack it and you're like, man, I'm, this isn't true. And I've been lying to myself the entire time. And then you feel like death, like violated by the church because the church has lied so many times about so many things. And this trust that you had is just, it's gone. Hmm. So, whew, thanks. Thanks guys. Thanks for listening. Um, I've kind of shared all of that at certain points, but not kind of in one cohesive, one cohesive story. But I guess at the end of the day, I just want people, if there's anyone that's listening to this, that is on the verge of a crisis or is going through one that, you know, just talk to someone and they don't need to know exactly the, the nuances of the church and the fallout of leaving the church, but they just need someone to listen to and, or someone to listen to them and just let them know that they're loved and they're cared for and they're, they're important. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that with us, Counselor Davis. Needless to say, I believe we're going to have to remove you from your calling. But <laughs> also, we're uh, we're late for a sacrament meeting. You said sacrament yeah. meeting starts in fifteen minutes. Fifteen minutes. Um, yeah, uh, the I organist. Yeah, organist was getting a bit us. tired of playing prelude music. <laughs> <laughs> no, the the bishop that I was a counselor to, he was he just like didn't care about schedules or anything. He'd be like texting during sacrament meeting. There were so many times where he was like texting back and forth with his wife, like during sacrament meeting. And then he would like routinely like delay coming into sacrament until after like the top of the hour. Like we should start at 10. He'd walk in at like 10 or seven, like seriously, like that way. And he, and like, he was fully aware of what he was doing. He just like, just did his own thing. Yeah. It's kind of fun. That's anyway. Funny. Yeah. The prelude music is, uh, coming children of the Lord is on the third, third repeat. We should go. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks for sharing with that. Yeah. That thank with you us. so much. Um, yeah, always good to to hear other people's stories. And uh, I guess we'll close if there's nothing else. Would you feel comfortable saying the prayer, Counselor Davis? <laughs> just kidding. You just, you just removed me from my calling. Yeah, but this just... is like the last ditch effort to get you to regain your testimony. Okay. Right, the passive aggressive, um, like if we get this person who's struggling to teach Sunday school, they'll ignite the fire. <laughs> I, I love that you're still holding on to this theory that every every Pimo ever teaches Sunday school and that's when they leave. They, I don't, I, yeah, I'm going to do some more research to substantiate it, but I, yeah. That was the last calling that was extended to me before. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed okay, it. okay. <laughs> okay, well. Okay. Uh, I guess we say these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Amen.